0: Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the
1: pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Better Words.
0: We hope you're enjoying this season. Um, We've certainly had fun putting it together. Uh, We are back with some more recommendations this week. Um, Yeah, I think, Caitlin, you might have kicked us off last time, so shall I go first this week? Shall I volunteer to go first? Yes, you absolutely should. (laughs) Um, So the book that I am recommending this week is In Case of Emergency by... and I really hope I'm saying her name correctly. So this book is one that I saw a lot in the UK when we were visiting. I kept reading the back and I thought, you know, it's kind of like, it sounds interesting, but it was one of those books that I wasn't quite sure whether I'd love it. So it sort of went on my like lower priority. I won't buy this yet. I ended up borrowing it from the library um, and I really, really liked it. I think I was, I think, it took me by surprise because I was expecting more of a rom-com, but actually it was more of a like a straight contemporary exploration of issues book, if that makes sense, um, more like of yeah, the general yeah. fiction. So basically um, Belle is I, – I think she works in like marketing or she's in this corporate job anyway and she's just having like the worst day at work. She accidentally sends a message in a meeting about uh, this colleague that she works with being racist um, or being like a, a bit of a dick. Um, but she forgets that her thing is on the presentation. So, like, everybody sees it. Um, and she's just had like
1: a, Aww, cause she's just had a terrible a day.
0: Yeah. Oh so no. she's just having a terrible day. And she falls into um like a, a pub cellar so she's walking and they must have been like i think they're like uh oh God, you know they like put barrels up in
1: movement like like yeah. into the ground in new york yes. or something. yeah so <laughs> yeah. basically
0: like because they put barrels in um like that in cellars in pubs in England it's not so much an Aussie thing obviously but they do still have cellars but you know they're putting the like they're replacing it or whatever this this is open and she's on her phone um <laughs> lamenting a terrible day and she goes like into this thing and is actually really lucky to survive because obviously she could have like broken her neck or anything um so she wakes up in hospital and she's confronted with her ex because she hadn't changed her in case of emergency number at work and they'd broken up a while ago but she just never got round to it and it also made her, makes her realise in that moment that actually, despite having a sister and parents who live um, a few counties away, she's in London, they're in like Kent... Um, she just doesn't feel close enough to them to have them as her in case of emergency. And she actually doesn't tell them for a while, but this whole thing like like the catalyst for the rest of the story is this whole traumatic event makes her realize that actually she's sort of been so independent to the point that she's isolated herself. So she starts Mm -hmm. to, the book explores her starting to try and reconnect with her family, um, which I love it was it was really interesting and also independent to a fault I 100% identify with that so you know I can relate Um. (laughs) yeah (laughs) um like I definitely have people who I would I'm not as isolated as Belle for sure but like especially in terms of the family stuff like I just I'm I'm always that person who like offers help to people or You know, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not the first one to be like, I need help. Like, we all find that hard, right? Um, Anyway, so she sets about doing that. And it really is that exploration of how she deals with those relationships. She also reaches out to a former school friend. Um, They, you know, we don't understand what happened until later. But we know at the start that they had a big falling out. And so she hasn't spoken to her for years and years and years. um, But they were super, super close. And I've actually had a situation like that. (laughs) Um, and it just yeah it sort of all stuck a chord Um, and so yeah it's really her exploring that but um, it's sort of adding to the story is that she is British Indian um, and so a lot of what she explores in there or talks about is like the expectations that her Indian parents had for her the way that maybe her sister approaches being Indian um and just basically sort of how her race plays into things as well it's just a really interesting nuanced book and definitely one that I think that you'd like because it's a real classic contemporary like relationships but not romance like yeah it's really there is a bit of romance but it's not about that yeah yeah yeah, it's really, it's re- It was really good, and I really would like to read more from her. Um, I know that Bell has also written a book, um, a fiction book called Stronger, um, which is about women weightlifting. Um, and she's also written a book. I can't recall the name off the top of my head, but actually about how she coped with her husband's, um, suicide and all mm. about grief. And I think that that's just been republished. Um, obviously I'll put the name in the show notes, but I'm really keen to read more of her writing, but I really hope that like she does more fiction as well, because it was really, really fun. it was, it was, It was quite um like it wasn't always fun to read but like overall it was quite hopeful and uplifting but it definitely had some moments that were like quite heartfelt and yeah just the sort of thing we love
1: oh exactly i that (laughs) sounds excellent i really want to read that now what does the cover look like
0: um the cover is like a pink into orange ombre thing and ah, an image yes. of a woman falling. I think you'll have seen it in the bookshops in the UK.
1: That's what I was trying to, yeah. like, I was trying to think of it when you were talking about it. I was like, I've seen this. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, <Yeah. laughs> anyway, that sounds great. Yeah. Oh, my God. You'll and love after it. The recording, cut it out. But um, independent to a fault has no one to call in an emergency. I was talking to my mum on my watch who's in regional Queensland last night. Like, come.
0: Well, at least you, at least you have you know your mom she wouldn't even call her mom that's the thing she wouldn't like yeah she she didn't yeah she doesn't tell her parents until like halfway through the book that it even happened and then obviously oh, that raises no. all these things but it's so good you'll love it
1: oh sounds great okay yeah um in classic michelle caitlin dynamic fashion um my recommendation is way more generally uplifting <laughs> um not that <laughs> Uh, in case of emergency, isn't overall overall? Oh my god! Not that yours isn't uplifting overall, as you said, but my it's recommendation just a little bit more serious,
0: week, a little bit more yeah,
1: a bit more serious than mine. My recommendation this week is "One Night with You" by Laura Jane Williams. Oh, I have this on my shelf to read. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, you're gonna love it. It's so much fun. So we did interview laura jane williams um a couple of years ago for the lucky escape
0: oh my god like back right? in 2020 yeah
1: oh yeah wow <laughs> yes it was because that was like the whole novel is like t- travel and it was <laughs> yeah anyway um and uh, this book as well it's like that one was published by harper collins so i did get this book uh through work um, but it was published like mid last year, I think. So it's been out a little while now. Um, but yes, another super fun Laura Jane Williams rom com. Uh, the <laughs> the rom com setup for this one, One Night with You, I'll remind you, <laughs> is a one night stand. So Nick has just moved to London and he needs a couch. Ruby is about to move to Manchester and is selling a couch (laughs) he comes around uh they you know it was on facebook marketplace he comes around uh one of ruby's roommates uh helps him get the couch back to his apartment and then like invites him back uh, because he doesn't know anyone in london so he's like come back we're having pizza tonight it's ruby's last night like you know whatever and so oh they've only just met she's supposed to be on a, a year for her, no men after a bad breakup. And, but, oh, the <laughs> <Classic>. chemistry. <laughs> that the chemistry. So they have a one night stand um, and then go their separate ways. But of course, they kind of just keep coming back into each other's lives. Nick ends up becoming friends with their her housemates. Um, you know, she comes back for like a birthday party and they see each other. Like there's all these things. Um, and also the sort of main side plot, I suppose, is that Ruby... Uh, is going to manchester for a master's program for like documentary film making um so her like side project of like this documentary about this like guy in his 90s who wants to find his long lost love that he met in like france when he was 18 during the war oh it's incredible (laughs) um by the end of this book I was like, oh, this is, like, some big epic fate, ro- like, romance story with, like, the side plot, very Nicholas Sparks, mm-hmm. the, like, the epic, like, fate, you know, coming back, seeing each other. I'm like, is this, like, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks? Like, oh, my God. I really, really enjoyed it. I, of course, you know, read it so quickly. It was so much fun. Um, so funny. Also, you know, explores, like, starting over as an adult and, like, having no friends and reconnecting with friends once you move away um, or, like, staying in touch with friends, you know, changing adult friendships, um, you know, what you really want. Like, Ruby and Nick really get along in lots of ways, obviously, but are they actually compatible for, like, a real partnership? All of that stuff. But, God, it's fun. I want it to be a movie.
0: <laughs> oh, it sounds so good. I absolutely I will save it for after our podcast reading is all wrapped up. Um that sounds yeah. really, really fun. Sometimes you just need a really nice rom com you know, yeah. Absolutely. That sounds so good. It was
1: such a good fun read. Yeah. Yes. Ah. Always recommend Laura Jane Williams Yes, uh, novels. They're so much fun and so yeah. fresh. As yeah. well in like rom-com space
0: yeah definitely well thank you for sharing that really appreciate that
1: <laughs> thank you for sharing um and now <laughs> on to this interview which is completely different to both of the books we just talked about
0: yeah and probably like a lot more serious than the uh you know yes. lovely happy books that we've talked about let's talk about something that's slightly more depressing but we promise you are going to really love um this chat although sorry in advance if uh you know talking about thinking about covid lockdowns triggers some emotions because you know reading this made me realize it really does oh yeah yeah so yeah please enjoy Our guest today is a freelance editor and presents writing workshops to children and adults. Earlier in her career, she worked in educational publishing and was the editor for children's art magazine, Big. She lives in Melbourne and we're talking today about her debut verse novel, Grace Notes. Welcome to Better Words, Karen Comer.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. This is, there's a lot to talk about with this book. We have a lot of questions. Um, hopefully we'll fit them all in because there's a lot there. But we, we should just, I was about to ask a question, but really we should just get you to tell us a little bit about Grace Notes before we really dive in. So Grace Notes is about two creative
2: 15-year-olds. There's Grace Del Finch who's a talented violinist who wants to play in bars, but her parents, particularly her mother, wants her to focus on an academic career rather than a musical one. And then there's James Crux, always known as Crux, who is an aspiring street artist. And he's promised his dad that he won't paint in the streets until he's finished school. So, Crux sees a viral video of Grace playing her violin in a deserted tram, and he paints a picture of her on a city wall just before Melbourne's first lockdown in March 2020. And then Grace sets off to find out who painted her.
1: Perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's just such an incredible setting obviously Mm -hmm. we will be talking about COVID um with this book because it's a huge theme of the book um but I do want to ask you Karen because I think in your bio um or in the media release or something we got um it said you've been writing for 10 years and it took 10 years for this book to come out and I immediately thought but like What? Because this book is so, so timely. You could have only have started writing it in early 2020, like March or April or something. Like, I don't, you know, know. Like, these things, some of these things would have had to happen for you to start. And it's not uncommon to hear people worked up for a long time before getting published, but often it's a novel that's been with them for years and years. So how did Grace Notes specifically end up being your first published novel?
2: So... You said so many things in there. I, I did. Learned. I'm sorry. <laughs> some of them, well, all of them are true, but just in different ways. So I've been right. I've been, you know, a writer since I was a little girl, but I've been seriously writing for about 13 years. But I started a middle grade book, which is coming out in June this year. That's a Ooh, verse wonderful. novel middle grade so that's the book that I've been writing for for 13 years so I started notes in February 2020 so you're right it is very topical (laughs) and I had no intention of writing a book about the pandemic I was going to write a book about a street artist that was my first idea and then I kept seeing an image of a girl playing her violin in a tram. And I thought, oh, she must be the next book because, you know, this book is about a street artist called Crutz. But I kept having this image of this girl playing her violin and I decided that she belonged with Crutz's story because even though they're different art forms, to me they seem so bold and audacious because you know, as a writer, I'm just in a room by myself, very quietly writing my book. Like, you know, you would have a reality TV show about a group of writers. Like, there's nothing to see. <laughs> While street art and violin, you know, they're performance arts. They're really big and bold and audacious. So I decided that Grace and Crux belonged together in the same story. And I started writing in February with no intention of it being a pandemic book. And then, pandemic hit and it was still never going to be a pandemic book but I noticed that some of the restrictions just crept into my writing I didn't even realize it was just it was Mm. as if my characters were just living out the lockdown restrictions as my family and I were living it out and once I realized this I decided just to keep exploring and I thought well it's either going to just fade away and I'll just keep writing the original story or I'll just see where it goes. But it turned out that the restrictions that the government imposed on everyone who lived in Melbourne, that that became an antagonist as well as Grace and Crux's parents.
1: Gosh, that's so interesting because, I mean, at the beginning, you know, we all, you know, thought it would be over quite quickly and then mm-hmm. as it became clearer that it wasn't going to be And it just kind of did become a bigger part of everyone's life. So I'm I'm not surprised that, you know, while you're writing about these teenagers, they're like, well, we can't leave the house. And you're like, well, they can't leave the house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's so like we're so excited to talk to you about both the art forms. Um, And I'm fascinated because obviously within this book, You give us such depth to their characters so we really understand the love that Crux and Grace both have for for their respective art forms. Did you have to do much research into those things to sort of bring that to life? Because there's lots of very specific things in there um, that I just wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think of, even as someone who played a little bit of music in school, for example, or, you know, knows nothing about street art,
2: (laughs) The research was uh, really fun to do. I had to do a lot of it online to start with because living in Melbourne, I love my characters. I was also in lockdown. So with the violin, um, I had played piano as a kid, but I'd never touched a violin. So I started learning violin in 2021. So I wrote Probably the second draft of Grace Notes, and then I started to research the violin. So I started learning. I had so many lessons on Zoom, and I'm still learning the violin now, uh, two years later. I still sound like a screeching cat. (laughs) No talent with the violin at all. But I found it was so important to understand how to hold the violin and to learn some of the terms and also just to realise how your shoulders, shoulders and neck could hurt after you'd been playing for a little while and thinking what that would matter for Grace if she's practising for two or three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I was able to ask my violin teachers lots of questions. And in between the lockdowns, I got out and saw a couple of live violinists play modern music and that was amazing. Um, really amazing to hear them play live. So that was all of the violin. And then with the street art, I did a lot of research online, again, because I was in the lockdowns. But as soon as I was out of the last lockdown in 2021, I signed up for a street art tour around Melbourne and it was their first one back for almost a year. And then I got to know the artist who took the tour and so I arranged to meet up with him quite a few times and he was fantastic, told me lots of stories. Uh, I did a workshop with him, which was fantastic and I have equally as little talent in doing street art as I do in playing the violin I am not like my characters at all I share their passion but not their talent
0: I, <laughs> so, ad- I so admire you fully like actually learning to do some of the things as yeah well. like, like really
1: that- having a go at both the violin and street art because for some of the bits when I was reading about Crux painting all I could think about was like the one time I tried to spray paint uh, a bookshelf that I have that is green because I did paint it but oh man I made mean, such a mess it was so hard it's really streaky like <laughs> but you have like <laughs> you, you
0: bring in it just feels natural the way and I mean it makes sense when you you did so much research but it feels natural the way you discuss um sort of some of those little techniques and um the the little things he does to bring these paintings to life and stuff so it makes so much sense that you actually gave it a little bit of a go but yeah was your street artist contact like a little bit, the help with like this is how we would outline a big thing because like I yeah I look at those big full wall murals and think how yeah,
1: really thought about it
2: yeah they're, they're absolutely amazing and um both the street artists that I worked with and my violin teacher they both read the manuscript and I'm so grateful to both of them because they just picked up little things with my language, uh, the way I describe things, they were very um, specific and said no you know a violinist just would not use that term or I've never heard another street artist say it like that. So (laughs) I was very grateful to both of them for picking up on the little things that I got
1: wrong. Oh, that's incredible. Such valuable knowledge. People like us would
0: never notice because we have no experience of it. But I think it just goes to show the value and care. You want it to bring the story to life in a way that feels really authentic as well
2: to really take I care with that. It be, yeah, I did want it to be authentic. I wanted it to ring true. And even, you know, if you might think that, well, some readers might not pick anything up. To me, if I have the chance to make it more authentic than I felt like I owed. I owed it to all the street artists and violinists out there and I owed it to my characters too.
0: Yeah. So actually mm. that's a that's a good segue. Let's talk about your lovely characters. I loved spending time with them both. Mm. They're so wonderful. Um, I'm I'm curious though, you know, you sort of did say that it was initially just going to be Crux's perspective um, and then became dual narrative just can you tell us a little bit more about that so you were just going to tell Crox's story
2: with street art yeah I wanted to write a story for a couple of years about a boy who really liked drawing and I wanted to make it bigger so you know what could be bigger than you know a nine-story building that has yes. street art on it and because uh Minors under the age of eighteen aren't even allowed to walk the streets carrying a spray, cane, spray can. Spray can—it's mm-hmm. actually illegal. I didn't actually so, know that.
0: Is that just a Victorian rule, or is it Australia-wide?
2: I know that's Victorian, so I'm not sure about the yeah, other Because I was I reading that, and I was like, though.
0: I feel like I, I, didn't, I didn't
1: know, know but I'm not surprised. That. If that makes sense?
0: Yeah, like I, I'm not like it makes sense, but like. Yeah, I just, I was like, oh, like I remember seeing spray cans like locked up in cabinets, but I didn't know that you couldn't even possess them. And I was like, well, maybe it's not a Queensland thing, but it, yeah, it it makes sense. But yeah, I was like, whoa, I didn't even think
2: of that. Yeah, so that to me seemed as if there were quite a lot of obstacles for my character of cracks and I thought that would be really interesting. So I was just going to write About him. I thought that I didn't really know too much about the story then, but I thought that that would be enough to write about him. But then, as I said, I just kept getting this image of Grace. It was such a visual image, and maybe because it was so visual that I thought, well, you know, she does belong in Crux's story as well. So it became Jules' narrative. I wrote a little bit about her just to sort of test it out and see you know, see how I thought she would fit in. And Grace's voice came really naturally right from the beginning. So there was just no question. It was going to be dual dual narrative after that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of that uh, visual image, I wonder if we can take this little detour and talk about the cover because the cover has like Crux's painting of yeah. Grace on it. And like, I would just, love to know a bit about how that cover came to be because I think I've seen uh the like the original or a print of the original like on your Instagram so can you tell us a bit about this cover?
2: I love the cover I just cannot believe how beautifully it just represents Krutz and Grace's story and the publisher Kate Stevens at Hachette she had a very strong idea from the very beginning that she wanted to commission a particular street artist to paint, to create a stencil and paint grace. So such a talented street artist. Her name is Karen Farmer. She's a Sydney street artist and she paints a lot of birds, particularly magpies, which we've <laughs> already written into Crux's story. Yes. so oh, that fits so well. <laughs> Synchronicity. And so my lovely editor, Kate, commissioned the talented Karen Farmer to create a stencil of Grace playing her violin. And I was really lucky that I had a lot of input. So I created a Pinterest board of uh, girls playing their violin and there were many model pictures so I had to say oh I don't think she's quite holding her violin properly but this is exactly how I think that Grace should look and then I had other photos of violinists playing and so Karen Farmer used those to create just that amazing stencil of Grace and she sprayed it on a legal wall in Sydney and took a photo of it and then Um, An amazing book designer, uh, Astrid Hicks, she created the cover based on that. And then Kate at Hashesh very kindly commissioned Karen to use that stencil. And stencils are very fragile. They can't be used over and over again. So Karen Farmer spray painted the Stencil of Grace on a canvas and Hachette sent it to me. So now it's on my wall, which is amazing that I have a picture of Grace, an original street artwork, you know, supposedly painted by Crux, painted by Karen um, Farmer on my wall.
0: I think that's my favourite that, cover story ever. I don't think I've heard so a cover cool. story that interesting before. because just, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, because it's so rare that... I think it's quite rare that a cover is um, like original artwork in that way. Like, yes, you can com- commission an illustrator or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's just so specific and different and, yeah, so special. Like that is the only, you know, that one that's on that wall that the photo is taken off for the cover and the one on the canvas for you is kind of like they're the only ones, the only paintings.
2: I know it's it's amazing I feel really grateful to Karen Farmer and the team that has for having the vision to create a cover like that it's just amazing
0: it is absolutely stunning um
1: yes it's such a good cover so
0: let's talk about the COVID stuff (laughs) um I think it might still be like quite confronting for people to read about this time I mean I felt fine reading this, um, but actually it did bring up a lot of memories. Like I was in England and I saw, I think it was on Binge or something, that there's like a a drama series based on like the first few months of Boris Johnson being Prime Minister and like the first few months of lockdown, and I was like, oh, no, I could not watch that right now. Like it's still sort of a little bit too weird to like – even though it's like nearly – three years ago, which
1: yeah.
0: is insane. It also feels like it has been no time at all. Um,
1: yeah. So- and, like, I live in Sydney, so I didn't experience Melbourne lockdowns either. Have Have you heard from, like, what has the reader response from, like, Melbournians been about reading about these lockdowns and that time? I think a lot
2: of readers were initially um, perhaps a little bit put off by it, but, COVID is really the backdrop. It's not Mm. main story. And certainly the lockdowns and the restrictions do act as a bit of an antagonist for crux and for grace. I think that particularly for teenagers that they need to see their COVID experiences reflected
1: in books. and talked about. And
2: talked about because it was such a pivotal time for them and particularly for teenagers they they missed out on so much but like any hard thing it does need to be reflected in you know our music and our books and our television shows and we do need to talk about it I did try and make it overall positive um Of course, there are some things I don't want to give away any spoilers. Um, But overall, you know, I'm hoping that teenage readers will see their own experiences reflected back in that. I think because we are a few years on, we have had a little bit of time and certainly there might be some readers who aren't ready to read it just now. But so far I haven't had any negative experience, any negative feedback from Melbourne yeah. readers. Mm.
1: I think, mm. I mean, and, like, again, as a as an outsider, um, I think I really found it very, like, moving to read about, you know, it's sort of all coming into effect and the stronger lockdowns because even the dates um, that are, like, in the corona chorus, like, stats, sort of sheets that are in the book I like there was one that I like read it and suddenly I was like oh that's the day they sent us home with like our laptops and we're like try working from home tomorrow and see how it goes Mm -hmm. um and all of that stuff and but also it just means that it's so Melbourne as well and this book is so Melbourne with the street art and um even the tram that's um like a where Grace is playing her violin in the video and that's a big part of the story as well and that just must be really quite special being from Melbourne and writing about that and reading it as well.
2: I did want it to be a love letter to Melbourne. I felt that we did really go through a lot over those two years so I wanted to showcase the best of Melbourne and the iconic parts of Melbourne. So the trams and the street art and the live music, Jose um, Lane in the city, I really wanted to, yeah, show the best of what Melbourne has to offer.
0: Um, and so Caitlin just mentioned the Corona Chorus, uh, sort of little stats pages um, that sort of break up the yeah. story a little bit. Why did you want to include those?
2: I wanted, they're like um, online messages. So,
1: yeah, like comments or news alerts or something. Yeah. yeah.
2: Like comments. So, I followed the ABC blog um, quite religiously throughout COVID. And they were so knowledgeable and informative and kept everyone up to date. But I loved all of the comments from the people who were following the blog. And there were just some beautiful stories that came out of that. Someone would just write in, I'm having a really bad day. And then there would be 10 other blog followers who would write in with things like, go and sit in the sun for five minutes, um, make yourself a cup of tea, move away from your screen, or find something funny on Netflix to watch in the evening, or hope, you know, sending you hugs. So I found that some of the stories from that blog and some of the lovely posts um, I wanted to reflect that and I also found that I wanted to showcase more than just grace and Crux's stories with the pandemic. I wanted to show people who had so much work to do because of the lockdowns and also people who had lost their job. And I wanted to talk about sourdough bread and yes. people who were making sourdough bread and people with puzzles never- and all oh, of that too. stuff. <laughs> And parents who were trying to work at home and homeschool their children. So yeah. I wanted, you know, that was the thing about the pandemic is that there was such a wide range of experiences. And, you know, even though we were all in the same ocean, we weren't all in the same boat. So yeah, like I really even
0: reading this just reminded me how different like my experience was. being like
1: not being in Australia at the time Yeah, yeah it was
0: it was so so different but then you know every part of Australia is so different as well like it's it's really it's really fascinating um to sort of start having as you say at the point we are now where we're starting to reflect it in media and we can start seeing different perspectives of it I think it's it's really fascinating um to start to see those different perspectives reflected in the things that we're reading and the things that we're watching and things like that. Yeah, well, that was my hope
2: in putting together the Corona Chorus.
0: Yeah, and it's a nice little way to sort of break up the story as well and I'm always a fan of those sorts of, um, you know, where we have like little interludes of text messages or things like that. Like I just enjoy that sort of um, extra storytelling, not, you know part of the main story thing I I always find that really like it's yeah, such a always love thing, a but, bit
1: of extra content yeah because
0: yeah, then there was a book that we read um last year Yinka where is your husband and um she every now and again had like google searches um mm-hmm. for like and it was just that thing of like yeah you go on and you're like oh my god like am I dying because of da-da-da-da? or you know <laughs> like sort of a bunch of, and you could <laughs> see like a, do you remember that Caitlin it was like you could see like a yeah. funny like a bunch of funny sort of you know, like what and to like do how they evolve home. down the yeah,
1: thing, like and they Google. relate to the storyline
0: yeah. and stuff. And I, it's just like, oh yeah, that is what it looks like when you go on your Google, and you can see like <laughs> symptoms for blah blah blah, or like brunch spot near da da da. Like it's just so random and a reflection of where you are in your life as well. <laughs> what you're googling at two a.m.
2: That sounds like such an interesting format. And you're right; those Google searches do tell big stories about <laughs> yes. ourselves.
0: Yeah, and it's just like sure such an is. interesting little tiny interlude, but same with your it chorus. Like, it does, you're right, bring in these other stories so it really fleshes out what's happening around these two main characters yeah. that we're so intimately involved
1: with. And I think it's also really informative because even, you know, it feels like forever ago and it wasn't that long ago, but everyone – like remembers you know late February there's like different weeks in March and even the first weeks of April when like different things were happening and we were yeah I you feel know, like March there's...
0: 23 is like seared into my brain now that's when we went into yeah. lockdown in the UK and like I just remember 23rd of March like it's bizarre
1: it just it all you know it all happened to like it all happened for everyone at the same time so we like we know yeah, like you remember the date that, you know, Melbourne went into lockdown or, yeah, you went the into The date you went home. <laughs> or the day I went home from work. Yeah. Or, yeah, like it's, it really, like I think it takes you back there, like while you're reading about it and remembering and, like, you know, Crux and Grace could have been at in any house in the street at that time because mm-hmm. that's what we were all doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, so- there was so much that took place inside our houses, Mm. weren't there, rather than being out and about.
0: Mm. And, you know, I guess as you were writing it, it, that stuff was happening, as you said, but what was it like then to revisit it in the editing process?
2: Yes, when I was editing it, the book is set only in 2020 and, you know, I don't think there are too many YA books that take place over a longer period than a year but I could not have set the book over two years I think
0: yeah it's just too unpredictable it,
2: yeah it never would have been finished I would have found that too difficult so I mm-hmm. did it does end on a good note at the end of November 2020 when it does appear as if things are returning to normal again um
1: yeah, it wasn't really bit- know what happens next they'll still get through it it's fine
2: Yes, yes,
1: and Grace, uh, Grace and
2: cracks are resilient. We know that yes. they want to get through 2021 for, for sure.
0: Um, and I wanted yeah. to say, too, before we move on to sort of some other writing related topics, that I really loved all the parents in this, too, and they all had their own flaws and um, sort of strengths and weaknesses and stuff. Um, but I really love that we got to experience that as well, and we almost learned as much about all of them as we did about. and Crux and I especially love Crux's dad like the and the way that he deals with the neighbors next door um and that's like a whole little subplot I just yeah I feel like he's just like the loveliest person (laughs) I love him he's
1: great he would make a lovely neighbor wouldn't he he would but yes I loved I loved the parents involvement as well because yeah Crux's dad like buying him spray cans and yeah and and Grayson's dad who also played the violin and they would play together sometimes was yeah it was really lovely and the way that each of their you know sets of parents were you know understanding encouraging supportive like all those different levels of their art was um really interesting as well
2: Mm. well I think You know, at the age that Grace and Crux are at 15, there is that tension between, you know, loving your parents, but also wanting to move away from them as well. And I think, still, sometimes at 15, sometimes you don't quite see your parents as people in their own right. So I wanted to show that Grace and Crux did get. You know, a little annoyed sometimes by the restrictions by their parents as well. But there was that gradual stage of seeing them as people in their own right
1: as well. It is also exactly the age where I'm sure every parent has to, is trying to, well, trying not to, but trying to trying not to like crush a dream, but also trying to get their child to be realistic and responsible and say, please like my mum, eat when I was fifteen, said, Caitlin, you can't spend your entire school day in the arts department of the school and made me pick a business subject. <laughs> you know, oh. like everyone has that. Mm.
2: <laughs> yes, I think it's it's such a cool it's push so tricky you know, supporting your dreams and supporting your passions and then being quite realistic as well.
0: Yeah, and, I and guess- as, the, as the adult reading it, I could see, like, where Grace's mum was coming from with that. Um, didn't, like, didn't always agree, but I could understand. Yeah, um, And, again, it's just sort of her... Um, we were having this discussion with Leanne Yong, who we talked to um, about her book. to can play that game? Because there's a similar sort of there's a conversation that takes place in that where her parents are like, "We're super proud of you, but we just, you know, we just don't want this to not work out for you." Essentially, yeah. like really talented, it's so but like, for oh, is it the other And I can see why you know she sort of is like, "Oh yeah, I can see that. Like, I totally don't agree with them, but I can see that to their mind, like." they are protecting me by suggesting I don't solely focus on that. And it's actually not that they're just out to get me and that they hate me and yeah. all that sort of, you know, like it's, and I Yeah, think when you grow up, you're like, like,
1: oh, my parents just wanted me to pick a science. <laughs> like yeah, a science. <laughs> and, like,
0: and like there's no there's no doubting that, you know, in this, and, that, and this is something that obviously is explored in the book, is that Grace's mum is a little too on the overbearing side and a little too on the strict academic side. Um, but it is that situation of them both having to, give a little ground I guess Um, and I really enjoyed sort of learning that Um, and I guess on that note as well it's probably time to ask you about verse and writing in verse because we have already talked about so many things that are explored in this novel and it just always blows my mind when I read a verse novel I particularly like I've read a lot of Sarah Crossan's novels um, and I just always I'm blown away by how much emotion, how much depth of storyline, how much depth the relationships can have in so few words. So, yeah.
1: just like That's tell like us all more these about things have talked about. How do you, fit yeah. how do you fit it in <laughs> in
0: few words? And it just, yeah, it's amazing.
2: Ah, oh, thank you. Um, I guess my philosophy is about verse novels is based on this beautiful quote about poetry by Tom Stoppard, a British uh, playwright, and he said that the definition of poetry is the simultaneous compression of language and the expansion of meaning. So that is what I try and do. So the compression of language, so sometimes my writing is quite sparse, but within that every word counts and so that's where you have that expansion of meaning and each poem it's all three verse poems like you know any different scene in a traditional narrative um, prose they all have a purpose so sometimes a poem might be a big action scene um, but sometimes it might be a more reflective scene so if there's a more active poem well then the writing becomes shorter and sparser so that you can put in all that action and so that you can quicken the pace but if you have a more reflective poem then that's where you can slow things down a little bit and you might have lots of white space on the page and you might have more lyrical language.
0: And how do you decide where you're going to put say like um a particular line break or do something interesting with the fonts to sort of accentuate the meaning of something and give that visual sort of
1: addition. Yes. Because even in the, like in the, in the typesetting, I suppose there's, yeah, there's some interesting, um, like, like visually when you're reading it, there's some interesting, you know, like, yeah, like staircase words or, yeah, like funky different fonts or, you know, a font that looks like it's in, you know, like it's been sprayed onto the wall.
2: So in the first draft, I handwrite um, my first drafts and mainly because I like to be really loose because my day job is an editor. So I have to be very rational and logical. So Mm -hmm. when I write I need to mix things up and to try and be very loose. It's a different
0: headspace entirely.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So I always handwrite and I do it, my first drafts are quite instinctive. So I don't really reread them. I try and write a first draft as quickly as I can so that I can just stay with the energy of that writing. And so I'm not even thinking about the placement. I do write them as poems and Sometimes they turn out, as you said, Caitlin, like staircase poems. Sometimes there's, you know, full stops between each word. Sometimes I'll write them in uppercase. So it's just whatever comes into my head as I'm writing, set them out like that. And then in the second or third draft when I'm typing it up, that's when I'll start to think about the visuals. And I'm always keen to make sure that the visual presentation of the poem does not is not overbearing yeah. with the actual meaning. So it's it's the actual words and the meaning of the words that's most important. And I only want to um, emphasise, you know, particular words or particular poems if the meaning of that poem suggests that. It's it's never about jazz hands, about trying to, you know, jazz it up or make it look more impressive than what it is because it's about the reader. uh reading it quite clearly. I don't want the reader to be distracted by something that's important. Mm.
0: And in terms of working with an editor, like, do you work with someone who specialises in, in verse then? Because I imagine it would be quite the skill to, to work on that for publication.
2: Uh, I worked with a couple of different editors at Hachette and they all had um, a little bit of experience with verse novels Uh, So that was, yeah, really, really helpful to me. And I guess we all did our own research, like, you know, all of us were readers, so we'd all read a lot of verse novels as well.
1: Have you always written in verse? No. No, I have not. (laughs) Uh, Do you now or was it just this story?
2: Yes. Um, So when I started my middle grade book, which is coming out in June, Uh, That was originally a picture book, which is interesting because often picture books are very lyrical. And then it became a middle-grade narrative prose book and it never really sung. It was just always a bit flat. As I said, I worked on it for 13 years and, you know, probably 10 years of it was just a normal narrative novel Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't flat. And I received a wonderful piece of editing advice where I was told to take out all of the fragments and I did and it was just really flash. But then I realised a little bit after that that really I was a fragment writer, that it was the fragments, it was the poetry where my writing was I guess most natural for me. Mm-hmm. So once I rewrote the middle grade book as a verse novel, then I knew that was just how I was meant to write. So Grace Notes was always going to be a
1: verse novel. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, you just like <laughs> had to take out all that extra stuff to get out of your own way.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. I had to get out of my own way and take out all of the, the bits that weren't necessary.
1: Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your other book that's coming out in June?
2: Sure. So that's a middle grade book for nine to 12-year-olds. It's called Sunshine on Vinegar Street and that will be published by Alan and Unwin and that is also a verse novel and it's about a 12-year-old girl, Freya, who just feels stuck. So she's stuck because she's moved homes with only her mum, not her dad, and she's stuck because she's a basketballer and all of the girls at her new school play netball, and she's stuck because she's a donor-conceived baby and she doesn't want anyone in her puberty classes at school to find out.
0: Ooh, oh, wow. that sounds fascinating. I'm looking forward to reading that. Yes,
1: there's a lot yeah, yeah lots of
0: topics out. again lots of things yeah. with few words I'm very impressed
1: <laughs> I do also love that I've immediately tacked on to she feels left out because she doesn't play netball um not that I was a sports star at all but I can relate to that all the girls played netball when I moved to, to Queensland and to my yeah I know
0: and I oh man <laughs> and the school that I moved from like didn't really have any of that because it was like um it was a co ed school and then I moved to the, a girls' school and they were all doing like everyone played netball and they all knew the rules and so no one ever like and then you know you'd go to you'd have to play it in PE class and everyone would be like, Oh, you're doing it right and I and I was like, Why are you getting mad? Like I don't know what you're doing. Like you know, no one ever just said, or they did some things on the board and were like, these are the, these are the rules. It's simple, but like, that's just not how I learn or take on information. So I just remember it being, I just hated it. Like I just, anyway, I've
1: gotten, totally sidetracked
0: we're we're obviously not netball
1: girls we're Um, really going
0: to relate to that side of the storyline I think (laughs) (laughs) it's really going to hit us
2: so (laughs) many books for kids or teenagers they are about not fitting in and about not belonging so whether that's with sport or whether it's not finding your tribe with music or art I think you know, it's a fairly, you know, common experience for kids and teenagers.
0: It's so yeah, funny absolutely. that we all, sh- oh, most of us share a universal experience of feel like, feeling like we're not fitting in, um,
2: when yeah, it's actually a feeling something. that
0: we've all, everybody's feel, felt like they're not fitting in. And yeah. that in itself is a universal experience. <laughs> like, I just find that so funny that it's so true.
2: We just yeah. don't realize, do we? No, no we don't. No. It
0: comes with some hindsight and you know as you grow up a little bit and (laughs) realize these things (laughs) um and finally you know we spoke at the start just a little bit we don't usually talk about the publishing stuff so early but it made sense with it made sense with your book but can you just tell us a little bit more then about actually getting your book deal? Um, Because yeah, like you said, you started writing grace notes instead. So how did it then go to book deal and then book deal for your middle grade novel as well?
1: Yeah, which came first?
2: So I felt that I missed out on a few opportunities in 2020 because we were in lockdown Mm -hmm. and Melbourne has such a wonderful writing community and so many opportunities with uh, conferences where you can meet editors and publishers and have your work assessed. And so in 2021, I really wanted to make the most of the opportunities, even though they were all online. So I signed up with the CYA online conference and I my first... Uh, first meeting was with Danielle Binks. And friend she, of the show, Danielle <laughs> yes. Binks, love her. Yes, such <laughs> a friend to your show, such a friend to everyone She's in great. the YA middle grade in publishing industry. So she emailed me a week before and said, I've read the sample that you gave me. Um, do you have anything else to show me? And I said, sure, here's the full manuscript. So I sent it off to her. And then we had our 15-minute conversation and she signed me up. Um, Amazing. Yeah, that was for the middle grade book. But she also asked me if I was writing anything else. And I told her about Grace Notes and she said, well, can you send me anything? So I had a completed first draft but it wasn't very polished but I polished up the first 5,000 words so I sent her that. And then a couple of months later... She pitched both books. So she pitched the full manuscript for Sunshine on Vinegar Street and she pitched the first 5,000 words but with a full outline of grace notes. Mm And I was just so lucky that Alan and Unwin liked the middle grade and Hachette liked the YA.
0: How did it feel to land not one but two book deals after so many years of, of writing and going backwards and forwards on things before you really felt like you found your stride, that must have just been amazing.
2: Oh, it was a dream come true. It's, it still feels a dream come true. I was one of those writers who wanted to be a writer, you know, from very early on, from five or, you know, age five or six, always, always written. I wrote a lot of bad poetry as a teenager <laughs> I wrote Enid no, Blyton. good poetry <laughs> <laughs> um, as a kid, and so it was amazing. But I think it was it was thirteen years of working really hard, of deciding I really wanted to do this, and it was time to get serious about it. Um, so it was it was amazing. It seems as if I'm very prolific because I've got two books coming out in four months. <laughs> it's really over thirteen years. We have to take into account the 13 years beforehand
0: yeah and I imagine like I don't I don't want to project my own writing insecurities onto you but I imagine those 13 years you know some anxiety some doubt perhaps of whether you're ever going to get published comparison to other people like you know it's it is it's so easy to look at a book deal and be like wow that person's so lucky but you did put in years of work, and as I say, I'm I'm willing to bet years of of worrying and wondering and thinking that it's happening for others. Why is it not happening to me? And continuing to revisit and revise that that manuscript and that idea um, until it, it came of it. So yeah, it's it's obviously not just luck. Um, it's it's wonderful timing that they both got snapped up at once. Mm-hmm but yeah it's um it's so easy to to look at that and just see the achievements now without remembering that there's so much that happens behind the scenes
2: yeah I agree with everything you just said as well. <laughs> you said it beautifully. <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. I, as <laughs> I said, don't want to project my own insecurities onto <laughs> you, but I do feel in some senses they're universal. <laughs> um, and I, I wrote the other day about, um, I wrote an email about how terrified I am every time I sit down to write um, a new piece that I really care about, which is hard when you're a journalist and you've got to do that a lot. Um, and I sit down and I think, oh my god, I'm never going to think of anything again. Like I, this is just—it's too much. I'm not going to do it. I think of like all the other great stuff that's been written and think mine's just going to be crap. It's never going to be that good. And it's like each time I forget that the actual magic is when you are editing, and like that literally can't happen if you don't put some shit on the page to begin with. Like you need to put something crap on there. And trust that it's going to get better. And it, But it always feels so painful. And I actually describe it as feeling quite shameful as well when you sit down to do it and you've got that blank page. Because for me, it's a case of the perfection that I have in my head. I feel like it's it's like when I was a little kid, I remember trying to paint something. And getting so frustrated because what was coming out on the page, like, wasn't what I had in my head. And that's the only way I can can think of it sometimes is that I know that I, I, I've got this image in my head that I want to describe because I'm a super, like, hyper-visual person. But just finding a way to write that or, like, you know, you'll write something and you're like, oh, that's so cliche, delete. Like, it just... <laughs> sometimes so i feel quite shameful sometimes when i sit down in that moment and it feels vulnerable to be like okay i'm going to do something and it's going to be a bit shit and then on the flip side there's nothing quite like the high of actually editing something and be like this is amazing i am the, the greatest <laughs> I did such a good job it's <laughs> such a good job i've gone back and read some of my previous stuff and be like wow <laughs> like I'm not feeling that good today, that was good writing and I don't know where that came from. And I had the experience recently of like, I've been working on a podcast project for ABC and I did it, I did like five massive and like, I'm talking like my script, my first script was 12,000 words and we got that down to nine and a half thousand. Um, so that's how much we've tightened it. And I did my final narration for it. I sent off my edits and they did like proper sound mixing. And I sent Caitlin a message like at the time where I was like, Oh my god, Caitlin, like I want to cry at my desk. It's so beautiful. I'm like 30 <laughs> seconds in. It doesn't sound like my thing anymore. And I'm like so proud of it. And it's, it's only because of that super intense process of editing and having other people be like, This bit's not so great. And I think you can do better. And being like, Oh, it wasn't perfect the first time. <laughs> like, yeah, it's That's it's
2: crazy. A wonderful thing. About words is that words are not a bolt of expensive silk material that once you cut into it if you haven't cut it properly then you've you can't make a dress out of it and words are not like coverture chocolate where if you get one drop of water in it you've ruined it and you can't make chocolate curls to garnish your cake so with our words, they don't have to be perfect the first time. My drafts are very basic, my first drafts. They're not lyrical at all. I'm still trying to work out what the story is. Every now and again I'll write a poem that doesn't need a lot of editing, but most of the time I'm revising and revising and revising, and I think that is the wonderful thing about words is that i perhaps... In a way, that's why I was attracted to the street art and the violin playing because they're both performance-based. And as you said, Michelle, you know that the images that we have in our heads, sometimes they don't come out from a a spray can in the same way that we imagine. (laughs) But with words, you can just get a bit closer each time. You know, you just get a little bit closer and a little bit closer each time.
0: I'm so curious, is that what you love about editing as well? Because that for me is why I love, I love the process of being edited, even though it feels really like eek at first. We We're like, ah, ah <laughs> spend my stuff off. But I, I, I love, like I said, getting to the end of that process and being like, wow, I've learned so much. I can see how much better this is. And I feel so proud of these changes that I've made, even if it's like, you know, two commas and I deleted one thing but it sounds so much better but I also love the process of being the editor of looking at someone else's work and and being like this is great but what if we did this and like I just love both those things and yeah I love them in like equal measure.
2: Yeah I love both those things too. As an editor I really enjoy encouraging um, other authors, other writers, I really enjoy being able to see what they're trying to do and to help them bring that out a little bit more. And I really like the process of editing my own work. And I love how it's both left brain and right brain. I always start off when I'm editing and I'm just trying to be really intuitive. So I guess I'm editing as a writer rather than an editor. So I edit my own work intuitively There's so much that's wrong with it in the first draft. It's actually very easy to see what needs to be done to fix it up. So my second and third drafts are quite satisfying because I can make it so much better so quickly. But then perhaps the third or fourth or fifth draft, that's when I put my editor hat back on for my own writing and, you know, I become a red pen wielding editor for my own story And I'm trying to look at it a little bit more logically. Like this scene, it's just not singing. Like it's too flat. You know, why am I writing this scene? What are the motivations of the character? Where's the tension in the scene? What are they, what do they want to say but can't say? So I I attack the editing in two different ways, intuitively and rationally when the intuitive doesn't work.
0: Yeah, oh, that makes so much, so much
1: sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My goodness. I just, it must be so strange to edit your own work when that's like, when you're an editor. I just, yeah, I mean, it's a whole different skill set. I hope, I mean, I'm sure it's useful, but like, are you, is it one of those things where like you're either your own worst critic or maybe too easy on yourself?
2: Sometimes there are things that I can't see. I'm so grateful to all my editors. I had amazing editors at Hachette who just helped me to see things that I couldn't see and were really reassuring when I was a f- bit worried about certain sections of the book and just pointed out, you know, all those things that I point out to other authors, but I can't see in my own work. So, you know, one very minor character who had two names, you know, (laughs) an easy mistake to make. And you would think that as an editor I would have picked it up, but I didn't.
0: This is why even the
2: editors need
0: editors. Like everyone needs an editor.
1: There's always always things like that that I think people... Like, when you just know your own story too well, I'm not surprised that you can't see mm-hmm. that. Mm, editors need editors,
2: yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, I just, I, when I did an editing class in, like, my Masters, I was like, I love this. Like, this is there's just something so special about it. And I always remember that uh, like quote about it being a bit like being a midwife, like you're birthing, like you shouldn't be tearing it apart and stuff. And so I always try to be really compassionate and give the feedback that I would want to be given um, as well. But yeah, it's, yeah. And I've had really good experiences with like my producer and stuff on this, on this podcast experience that have just like reaffirmed my enjoyment of of being criticised,
2: but in a nice way. (laughs) I think it's such um, a sign of respect when someone looks at your work and because I've been doing it by myself, you know, with a few wonderful writing friends and critique partners who really supported me, to have writers, to have editors pay you the respect of reading your work so thoroughly and with so much engagement that they could see what you were trying to do they could pick up when your one of your minor characters had two names that they were so immersed in that but were also detached enough to pick up all those things it's such a gift to have someone do that for you
0: yeah Yeah, I'm definitely a little bit more desensitized to it now. I'm used to, you know, as a journalist (laughs) sending stuff off all the time. Um, But yeah, every now and again, I do something that I feel like really close to and you get some feedback and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We've had so much fun on lots of little detours and tangents, but I think that, this book gave us so much food for thought clearly and it was yeah. fascinating to talk more about verse um so yeah thank you for sharing that with us where can people find
2: and follow you online so i have a website uh, at and i am on instagram uh, karen two underscores coma and i am on twitter k writer
1: Lovely. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for chatting with me, Michelle yeah. and Kate. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at BetterWordsPod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin,
0: at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.